Amen. Hey, if you would join me in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 will be our passage for today, and you can find that on the Bible that's there in your pew on page 768, page 768. Hope that you've made use of your bulletin this morning. In it are announcements about upcoming events, opportunities for us to grow and serve alongside of one another. Yesterday was a beautiful day, and uh, perhaps you were able to get out into the sunlight and enjoy that. I did some yard work, and I'm in this phase of my life that is a blessing where I get to force my children to help me with yard work and um, but we're doing you know this yard work yesterday and uh, when I uh, mow grass or when I'm doing yard work you know it's kind of a, a mindless task it gives my, my mind opportunity to to wander and what I was doing I was just kind of thinking about how over the past week I've had a couple of occasions to be uh, with some of you in group and just how encouraged I am to hear the stories of what God is doing in your Lives. That's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. But I hope that if you're here today and you're not currently in a group, that you'll take advantage of the groups that we have that are all running. And there's a whole listing of them in the bulletin. And so I hope that you'll make use of that uh, and join a group so that you can get to know the stories of people here in the congregation. Uh, today we're starting a series on my story or our story, the story of how God has worked in your life. And the reason that we're focusing on this is that we know that every person here has a story that is unique to you. It's as unique as your fingerprint. And it is a, a story of how God works powerfully in people's lives. Probably every one of us has a story that we've told a hundred times, but we still love to tell, right? It's, it's so funny or it's so moving or so important to us that even though we've told it again and again and again, we love to tell that story. And probably all of us have a movie or a book that we like so much that we enjoy watching it or reading it again. Like there are movies that I have seen numerous times that I love that if it's on this afternoon and I'm like flipping channels and I see it, I'm going to stop. Like my, and my wife would go, haven't you seen this one? I'll be like, yeah, a dozen times, but isn't this so good? Isn't this great? There's a podcast that I listen to. It's called The Rewatchables. And the whole premise of the podcast is movies that are rewatchable, that they're so good that you will watch them again and again and again. In the book of Acts, there's a story that's told multiple times. It's the story of Paul's conversion. And in Acts chapter 9, we're given this story from the narrator's point of view in a narrative form. But we're also told this same story a couple more times when Paul himself recounts it, when he retells it to other people. And Acts is this, it's this history of the beginning of the church, and it can only be so long, and there's so much to, to include, but it tells us the same story multiple times. Why? Because I think God was trying to communicate to us that there is a power, there's an evangelistic opportunity in telling the story of how God has worked in our lives. Paul the Apostle, who would plant numerous churches in the accounts later in the book of Acts that we'll look at in the coming weeks, when he stands before Roman governors and judges, what does he, what does he go back to? He doesn't break out some apologetics textbook. 
He doesn't break out, let me give you these seven proofs of the, Christi- of the, of the resurrection and of Christianity. He goes back to his own story. And I want you to know that your story and how God has worked in your life can be a powerful, powerful way for people to come to know of Jesus and his saving grace. So we're going to read in Acts chapter 9, but I want to read you a couple verses in the chapters previous to give you some background. Acts chapter 7, verse 57 says, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. These are the people that are listening to Stephen give a testimony, give, a, give his, his story, and they're so upset that they run. Verse 58 says, They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, a stoning is where they would take rocks and they would just throw rocks at someone until they died. And if you're going to throw rocks at someone with murderous intent, you want to be unencumbered by your cloak. And so all these guys, as they're going to murder Stephen, they're going to execute him with rocks. They take off their cloaks so they can get a good wind-up in and throw these stones, and they leave their cloaks at the feet of Saul, who would come to be known as Paul. That's where we're introduced to this guy. In chapter 8 and verse 3, it says, Saul made havoc for the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. We're introduced to Paul, and he is a villain. He is a bad guy. But everything changes in Acts chapter 9. Let's read that together, starting in verse 1. Then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. And the reason for this is because Saul has made life so miserable in Jerusalem that Christians and disciples are spreading, they're running, and they're going to all these different cities. And God's actually using that because everywhere they go, they're telling the message of the gospel, and now Christianity is spreading. And so, Saul wants to stop this, and he asks for permission to expand his jurisdiction. He wants to go to the next city and find Christians. So if he found any uh, any who were of the way, and the way is how Christianity was referred to early on, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's asked for warrants so that he can go to the next city, find Christians, put them in shackles, and bring them back and throw them in prison. And while he's on his way, verse 3 says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate 
nor drink. Authors and movie producers know that we love a good story. In fact, there are times when I am preaching and I can see your eyes drifting or your head nodding, and I'll say, I need a story. And I tell a story and you re-engage because we love a good story. But authors and movie producers know that if they're going to capture your attention for the full novel or for the full hour and a half to three hours, however long the movie is going to be, they've really got to capture your interest in the first 10 minutes or 10 pages. 10 minutes or 10 pages. And it's for this reason that movies will often change up the timeline. You'll be watching a movie and it starts with this intense scene of action, some explosion, something that really catches your attention, and then they go back and they tell you the story of how it came to that. They do that because they know if they start back here with the background, that you'll have tuned out by the time they get to the really interesting part. Same is true when we're teaching, when we're preaching. We have to, we have to engage, capture your attention. Luke engages us by telling us Paul's background and introducing him to us as a villain. This same guy who is going to go and plant all of these churches, how does he start off? He start off, starts off as an opponent, a villain against the way. And what we have here is we have the same format that every testimony should follow. Every story, when you're telling your story of how God has worked in your life, you should follow the same format. My life before Christ, how I met Christ, my life after Christ. My life before Christ, how I met Christ, my life after Christ. So Luke tells us what Paul's life was like before Christ. Before coming to believe in Jesus, Paul was against Christianity and it was because he understood Christianity, perhaps better than some Christians do. And he didn't like what he knew about Christianity. You see, Paul would refer to himself later as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, which means that he had done all of this work to earn religious status, to be somebody in the Jewish church. And the message of Jesus was that it didn't matter how much of the law he kept, that he still was imperfect. And that because of Jesus, everyone could be made righteous. Even the sinners, even the thieves, even the prostitutes. What the message of Jesus meant is that Paul's status that he had worked so hard for was meaningless. And all the things that he had built his life upon, all the things that he had tried to form his identity with, of being the most zealous, being the most religious, being this leader, being someone who was impressive, all of it was meaningless to the message of Jesus Christ. He'd worked hard for his religious status. Because of the message of Jesus, in the message of Jesus, that status meant nothing. And Paul became so zealous for this that verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 1 says that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, meaning his every breath, his, his life's mission, what he had made his life about was working against the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now the tension that's created here in this moment 
is that clearly Paul's life was one way, and now it's different. What could have possibly made that difference? There has to be some dramatic change. How does that happen? When people who know our lives today hear that we used to be very different, it should create a tension in their mind. How is it that they used to be so different and now they've changed? Because there's something that everybody, everybody wants. Everybody wants to be able to change their life. Right? Think about all the advertising you see all the time. It's constantly promising you that you can be different. You can be younger. You can be thinner. You can be richer. You can be happier. People love the idea of being able to change their life. And so when they hear that someone's life has actually changed, they want to know what's the secret. How is it possible? They want to know what changed. Now today, we're not only going to study this in Paul's life, we're also going to look at the story of someone here in our congregation, Amy Dawson's life. Five years ago, five years ago now, we put together a testimony, a video of Amy's testimony, and we followed the same format. Amy's life before Christ, how Amy met Christ, and Amy's life after Christ. And so we've broken her testimony down into three short video segments, one for each part of that outline. And we're going to show you that first one now so you can see what Amy's life was like before Christ. And then we'll move on. You know, as a, as a kid, I always, for some reason, just felt not good enough, maybe not smart enough, not pretty enough, just not enough. So I just tried to basically get in where, I mean, where you fit in. You know, I just felt like I fit in with not the crowd that was doing right, and I don't know where that came from, but um, that was early on for me. I remember being young and just wanting to be grown. I just thought I could do things on my own and, and be grown, so uh, I made some really bad choices. Anything that my parents told me not to do, I, I wanted to do. I think marijuana and then alcohol was a big one, and then it escalated to um, methamphetamine, you know, it made me uh, feel like I could do more things and I was sharper everything everything and I, I didn't feel like I was hurting anybody I didn't feel like anybody knew you know um, and it just escalated for so long I think it was 2001 I just all this fear came up in me um, it was after like 9-11 I remember wanting to pray and wanted to change and Satan already came in and, and was lying to me and tell and told me I couldn't you know be this person that I would have to be to be a Christian. And immediately, you know, I just wanted to hold on to part of my life and give him some of it, and you can't do that.
is, is working and that there's some changes happening. That they're getting their life straight, right? That they're starting to come to church. That, that they're starting to recognize there's this problem. There was none of that in Paul. And God shows up and his life is completely and drastically changed. And when people hear how Jesus changed your life, even though it might be different than this person or that person, it, it is powerful to them because they can probably relate that that's what they need to happen for them. Paul would tell this story again and again, and he would tell it in front of educated people, powerful people, poor people, and None of them, as far as we have record, are going to have a visit from God, like Paul did on the Damascus Road. But God was going to use his visit to Paul to bring many other people to himself. And so Luke is telling the story here in Acts chapter 9, where we are reading. Luke is recounting the story because he's heard Paul tell it. And what's beautiful is because Paul has told this story, Luke is able to repeat it, and then it is recorded in God's Word, and we're studying it now, and it's been repeated again and again and again. The video that we put together for Amy's testimony, that was five years ago, and just recently she shared it again on Facebook because her memories had said, hey, five years ago, and many of you saw it, perhaps that you had not seen it back then. And that has been viewed numerous times because that story was told. And the story of how Jesus changed her life. Listen, I have no idea about the people who have seen that video either on our website or on YouTube or on Amy's Facebook page. I don't know anything about their background. I don't know how Jesus wants to bring them to himself. But what I know is that they have now heard the story of how Jesus changed someone's life. Paul would share this story with multiple people whose life was drastically different from his. And he never shied away from the powerful story of what God had done. And hear me, okay? Because I think that sometimes if we share our story, we want to make it seem more logical to a lost world. We, we, we want to explain how it is that God made this. We just need to tell them the story that Jesus did this. Paul was not ashamed of the fact that God showed up as a bright, shining light and completely changed him. In one moment, he was a guy who was against the way, trying to arrest Christians. And the next moment, he's saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? There's this powerful transformation. And so in Amy's video, she shares how her life was before Christ, and then she shared how she came to know Christ. So let's watch that together. Steve and I got in some trouble, and he, he got in trouble, actually, and it seems like I got worse after that um, with my addiction and just, I don't know what happened. It kind of spiraled. Um, and it was, he was already in jail. And so I was facing going to jail and then my kids would definitely know what was going on. And I cried out to God. I just asked for his help. 
Right away, I got into the drug court and went into rehab. And I remember being in rehab on a Friday night women's meeting and just, uh, I felt broken and I needed help and I didn't know how to live life and be sober. Um, and these women, they, they were, um, I, I could hear myself in their stories and in that book they was reading and that, this was all in the first night. And I just asked for help and by the time I got back to um, treatment that night, one of the women in the, in the meeting called and, and said, asked me if I wanted to go to the retreat because they were having a retreat and that they would pay for it. And I asked drug court and they usually don't let you do things like that, but they let me go. And that's where um, I, I surrendered to God with my addiction. I just, I just begged him to take it from me because the obsession um, to use and drink um, really strong you know that's all I had ever known so um, that weekend he took it uh, I, I didn't ever um, have a desire to, to pick up methamphetamine ever again so uh, I started working even then before I got all the way surrendered to him so it's good it's real good uh, I edited that video I shot that video. Um, I cut the video into three different parts this morning. I know that story, okay? Every time I hear it, I become emotional. I've had to change my contacts this morning because this morning going over it, I became emotional, cried a contact out of my eye. <laughs> and when we share what it is that, how it is that God has worked in our lives, that's powerful. And it connects with people. And not just people like myself who want to see Jesus change the lives of others, but even people who don't know Jesus yet. And so Paul, he meets Jesus and his life is dramatically, radically altered. And then Paul's life becomes the script for so much of the rest of the book of Acts and the New Testament. Paul gets a lot of New Testament content that tells about how his life is different, what he gives himself to. And listen, you cannot tell people everything that God has done in your life since you came to know Christ because people don't have that much time. And even as interesting as it might be, you can't communicate all that. But here's what you do get to do instead. You get to live it out in front of them. They get to see that at work in you. And by the way, this part of the story shouldn't be that surprising to people who know you. No one should come to the end of your testimony and go, really? God's at work in your life. Okay. Right? That part of your testimony should not be a plot twist or a surprise ending. We're talking about our testimonies in the context of the story of coming to know Christ. But the Bible uses the word testimony in reference to our conduct or our daily lives. So when we share, this is who I was before Jesus and then I came to know Jesus, now I'm living out who I am after meeting Jesus. And that's a testimony that is ongoing. 
Our testimonies carry weight when they're connected to a life that reflects that ongoing change. It's obvious that we're different from who we used to be because of the way that we live now. On that podcast that I was referring to, where they, they talk about movies that are rewatchable because you, you love to watch them again and again. They, they have some things that they, they talk about for every movie, and one of them is what happened the day after. Because, you know, a movie ends, well, what, what happens after that? And occasionally we find out with a badly done sequel, right? It never really lives up to what we had thought of or dreamed of, right? But when it comes to our story of how God has changed our lives, People get to see that because we continue to live it out in front of them. As powerful as Amy's story is and how her life was before Jesus and then meeting Jesus, my favorite part of the story is the ending of what her life is now that she knows Christ. So let's watch that together now. While I was in treatment, Steve, his mom, and my kids, they all came to church Easter Sunday, you know, so God was already working and I didn't know it. I think it was um, back to church Sunday. When I came back to church, um, immediately I, I just felt God tugging on my heart and this time I wasn't going to ignore it. And um, I, I think right away God sent Brandy and we were in meetings together and he, God is just so awesome how he works. And um, Throughout my life, I've seen him. Um, you know, he says, be still and know that I am God. And when I was still, I could see all the times that he chased me. And he never gave up on me. Another cool thing that's happened to me, I, mean, I got to speak for drug court after I graduated. And they had sponged other people's um, records and I hadn't gotten mine yet. And I um, had asked, uh, the prosecutor and she said to call me so I called her it was a while later and she's like well no they didn't expunge sponge it but I mean we're gonna work on it and we're gonna get it taken care of and um, and I and I have it's like what God says he does for our sin he just it's gone it's like it was never there through this journey of my sobriety and walking with Christ um, so much life has happened my daughter had a baby She's about to turn seven years old. I've got nine grandkids. None of them have ever seen me under the influence of alcohol or drugs. My parents, um, they come to church now. They're the ones that first brought me here. And God's working in their life. My mom just got baptized last year. My dad is strong in the church. I've got a, a strong relationship with my husband. He's sober. Life is so good. I just can't even tell you all the blessings it would take too long. I get to make it a living amends with my children. Um, I've got to show them that, that you can get sober and uh, you can live for Christ. And he says, all things work for the good of those who love me and are called to my purpose. So I just, I just know that, um, that I, I don't even know how to explain the goodness that, that it's been. In speaking of what... Uh, her life is now that she knows Christ. Amy says that she gets to do a living amends. And if you're not in recovery or familiar with recovery, you might not really understand what that means. People in recovery, they go through a process where they, they categorize their faults and 
things that, that they've done to others and bitternesses that they've held. And they process through all of those. And one of the things that they do is they recognize all the times that they have harmed others and they make amends. They go to them and they apologize. They attempt to make it right. And a living amends is not just saying sorry for what you did, but living differently afterwards. And that communicates to the person that you really are sorry because something is drastically different now. Living amends is not just saying you're sorry, but living differently. Paul would truly live differently. He not only thought differently about those people that he had arrested, those people that he had thrown in prison, he went out and he tried to replicate them. He tried to go and plant churches so that there could be others like them. And Paul's life is so different in the pages that follow. And for some, including if you read the rest of this chapter, the one that God sends to, to speak with Paul and to baptize him, and he receives his sight back, for many of them, they're not so sure about Paul. He says, God, isn't this the guy who was just throwing people in prison? Are you sure you want me to go see him? But Paul would live differently, and it would prove to them that he really had been changed. Paul would make a living amends. Friends, our story, sharing how it is that, that we were differently bef different before we came to know Christ, how we came to Christ and how life is different, is something we get to live out. We get to leave a legacy of a story that ends differently than it started. And what we have here in Acts chapter 9 is a turning point that sets a new trajectory that would continue on not only through the rest of Paul's life, but into eternity. And I don't remember who I first heard say it or read where they had written it. Somebody has, has pointed out, well, can you imagine what it must have been like for Paul to enter into the gates of heaven? And there are Christians who he arrested. There are Christians that, that he was there as they were executed. There's Stephen. And they welcome him because his life has been so changed by Jesus. And the celebration in that moment is not a celebration of Paul. It's a celebration of Jesus and what he can do in someone's life. You see, the hero of our testimony is not us. The hero of Amy's story is not Amy. She'll tell you that. The hero of our testimony, the hero of those stories is Jesus. And so when we share our testimony, when we tell about our lives before Christ and how we met Christ and our lives with Christ, the focus must always be upon Jesus. People shouldn't walk away and say, I want to be more like Daniel. Or I want to be more like Amy. They should walk away and say, I need Jesus. He's the difference maker in our lives. 
Paul would make that clear throughout his life, showing people that they needed Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to bring our sermon to a close here. It might be that through the message or through hearing Amy's story, you've recognized your need for Jesus. Friend, I want you to know that he longs to welcome you. He longs to make a difference in your life. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I want you to know that this altar is open. You're welcome to come. And we would love to pray with you or point the way to Jesus. It might be that you're here and you are a believer. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you're just thankful for the difference he's made, and you want to give him praise. Lord, I ask that you'd work in our hearts in these moments. Lord, we we respond to your work. You're calling out to us. And Lord, help each of us to know how we can share the story of how you've worked so mightily in our hearts and lives. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. If you would stand with me, we're going to remain in this spirit of prayer. And if God is working in your heart and you'd like to come forward to the altar, it's open. We happily pray with you. If you want to sing God's praises, however you feel led as the team leads us.